Welcome to BrainBeat, a podcast series featuring discussions with experts on brain health and function, brought to you by the National Academy of Neuropsychology Foundation. I'm Dr. Peter Arnett, immediate past president of NAN and professor at Penn State University, and I'll be your host today. It's a pleasure for me to introduce Dr. John Randolph, who will be talking with us today about brain health. Dr. Randolph is a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist, brain health coach and consultant, and member of the adjunct faculty at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth College. He earned his PhD in clinical psychology with an emphasis in neuropsychology at Washington State University and completed clinical and research fellowships in neuropsychology and neuroimaging at the Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth. He's past president of the New Hampshire Psychological Association, a NAN fellow, and recent program chair for a national conference focused on the science of brain health. He's also author of the recently released general audience book, The Brain Health Book, Using the Power of Neuroscience to Improve Your Life. He works with individuals, groups, and organizations interested in developing better strategies to enhance brain health. Welcome, Dr. Randolph. Thanks for joining us for BrainBeat today. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. So how does brain health relate to successful aging? Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, you know, successful aging is really intimately related to brain health. When we think about the aging process, we need to make good decisions about our day-to-day activities and our health care. We need to be able to learn and remember information effectively. We have to Mm -hmm. process information very efficiently at times. And all of this relates to how well the brain is working. And we know that there are certain day-to-day activities we can engage in that also really help promote brain health. And these include things like exercise, social activity, mental activity, eating a a brain-healthy style of diet like the Mediterranean-style diet, managing stress, sleeping well. These are all things that we have a certain amount of control over and we know can really improve not just brain health, but the overall aging process. It's good to know that. And how important is exercise for brain health? So exercise is one of the most exciting developments in neuroscience in the last 20 years. When we think of what exercise does for the brain, it's remarkable. There's a a whole host of things that exercise will do to promote brain health in general and also specifically our thinking skills. So we, for example, can grow new brain cells or neurons when we exercise more consistently, particularly in this memory critical structure of the brain called the hippocampus. We also have a much lower risk of dementia if we are more physically fit. So that's a huge benefit in and of itself. We experience benefits for our thinking skills like processing speed, thinking flexibly, our ability to learn and remember new things. All of these are linked to how physically fit we are. So there are uh, very, very many things that exercise does for the brain. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty amazing stuff. Now, related to that, what kind of exercise is best for brain health? So, you know, I, I get asked this question a lot by folks I work with, and I think fundamentally, Exercise at any level is good for the body and for the brain. But when we look at the science, the the research tends to focus most on moderate activity. So if you Mm -hmm. think of a a scale of zero to 10 in terms of how much you're exerting yourself during exercise, 
10 being running as fast as you can, zero being standing still, somewhere around a five or a six seems to be the sweet spot for uh, brain health. So this could be a brisk walk. It could, could be going hiking, perhaps dancing, anything that uh, just gets the heart rate up a bit, but where we're still able to perhaps have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, you know, light activity like doing some work around the house, doing some gardening. That's certainly good for the brain too. Vigorous activity works as well. So if you're really into running marathons or cycling for 50 plus miles in a, in a go, that's all, all good. But most of the research um, seems to focus on that moderate level of activity. Mm-hmm. And then how much should people ideally do in a typical week if they want to maintain their brain health? So, you know, we can look at a few different standards here. First off, we can look at what the CDC and American Heart Association have to say. And they suggest exercising about 150 minutes per week. So roughly 30 minutes a day for five days a week of moderate activity, similar to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. And also a couple days of some sort of resistance training or strength training. You don't have to become a bodybuilder by any means, (laughs) but just doing some sort of resistance training, push-ups, sit-ups, those certainly would count. But when we look at the neuroscience literature, they, they sort of seem to say in the, in the science that about 20 to 30 minutes a day is pretty good for brain health. Both of these standards tend to be fairly similar, but fundamentally somewhere around 20 to 30 minutes a day is a good target for all of us. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know. So my wife and I usually take a walk around the block for maybe 20, 30 minutes a day. So even that would be pretty good for maintaining brain health. It would, absolutely. And that's what's so important is that this doesn't have to be um, paying a, you know, a gym membership unless you like working out at the gym. It could be something as straightforward as, right, taking a walk around the neighborhood. And, you know, by the way, with, uh, with your wife, with a friend, um, that's even better because you're getting some social engagement at mm-hmm. the same time. You hadn't thought of that. Is this the amount of, and type of exercise that people should get varied depending on their age? Yeah, so we can, you know, look at some of those CDC standards as a, as a start to, uh, you know, sort of addressing that. When we look at kids and adolescents, the CDC suggests that folks should be exercising about 30 minutes, or excuse me, about 60 minutes a day of mm-hmm. some sort of moderate to vigorous activity and getting maybe three days a week or so of some sort of resistance training. Mm-hmm. When we move into adulthood uh, and older adulthood, the standards change a little bit where the focus is about 150 minutes a week and a few days of of resistance training. Mm -hmm. And in older adults, it's the same uh, as general adulthood, the 150 minutes a week, as well as a few days of strength training, but also Mm -hmm. some uh, balance exercises. Mm So that's sort of for general physical health. And those do tend to correspond in terms of general standards to what we Mm -hmm. see in in the neuroscience research too. So that's, again, Mm -hmm. a good target. But again, it's important to emphasize that any level of exercise is good. If, you know, it's hard to get to that level for uh, Mm -hmm. various reasons that, uh, you know, any sort of movement is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, those are some pretty good me- benchmarks for all of us to to think about. I just want to pick up on something you mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking about, you know, just taking walks around the block. Like if I take around, around uh, walk around the block with my wife or a friend or something, you mentioned that it's partly good because it's exercise, but partly good for brain health because uh, there's a social element to it. Could you tell us a little bit more about 
how social activity impacts brain health and tell us just a little bit more about that. Yeah, you know, this is one of those activities in day-to-day life that people don't often associate with brain health. We certainly know that when we're socially active, it makes us feel good to be around people that we care about. And we feel sort of, uh, you know, emotionally nourished by those interactions. But the brain really gets nourished as well when we're more socially engaged. And I like to think about three different types of social activity that really matter. One is how frequently we're active with other people. Two is how large our social network is. So in other words, how many people we tend to interact with over the course of about a month. So mm-hmm. even if it's somebody you see you know, once or twice a month, that, that person would fall into your social network as far as how people in science think about it. Mm-hmm. And then the third area is social support, how sort of supported we feel by our friends and families and, and others in our, our lives. Mm-hmm. And all three aspects of social activity that I just mentioned are very associated with brain health and also reduced risk of developing dementia. Mm-hmm. So um, a lot of really uh, important aspects of, of social activity. You know, in uh, sort of contrast to that, when people are more socially isolated, when people feel lonely, that can actually be toxic for the brain. So that's actually mm-hmm. problematic. So we need to find ways that people can stay engaged, including through activities like volunteering in the community, which we know Mm -hmm. has some um, great brain health benefits in and of itself. Good to know that. So it sounds like maybe during COVID, that might have been a pretty tough time for brain health for a lot of people just because of probably some increased social isolation. But now that we're coming out of that, maybe some good news on on the horizon there. Yeah, absolutely. It's been such a challenging period for all of us. And I think that social piece in particular has been so difficult. It's nice that we live in an era where we can do Zoom calls and FaceTime calls where we're able to connect virtually. It's not perhaps quite as good as in person, but it's uh, you know been one way to maintain some sort of social connection. But there's no question that it's, it's, it's been very, very difficult for all of mm-hmm. us in that regard. Yeah. That's a good point, though, like a good way to keep in touch with people, even even during that time could have been through a Zoom call or there's still still ways to stay connected with people socially, even if, you know, there are obstacles that might, you know, otherwise um, interfere with that. Some people say that uh, like doing things like crossword puzzles or reading helps the aging brain. Is that is that true? Or uh, it seems like there's been some sort of mixed information about that out there. So I just wanted to have you tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know, in my clinical practice, I work with a lot of older adults, and that's actually one of the the most common questions I get. You know, should I be doing crossword puzzles or Sudoku? You know, what, Mm -hmm. what seems to be best for brain health? So first off, you know, crossword puzzles in particular have been looked at in the science. There's actually a really interesting study a few years ago that found that people who did crossword puzzles more often had a delay in memory changes relative to people that did uh, crossword puzzles infrequently or not at all. So there, there may be some specific benefits there, but I think more generally, the idea is to do a bit of what we could call cross-training with mental activity, mm-hmm. that there's some evidence that that seems to be particularly helpful. There was a, a really uh, interesting study a few years ago by uh, Dr. Michelle Carlson at Johns Hopkins who found that when people have a variety of activities, each additional activity reduces the risk of memory problems by about 10%. 
So if you're, let's say, really into reading and you do that intensely and often, that's a great thing. Reading is one of the best things we can do for the brain. Mm -hmm. But if you also play a musical instrument or let's say do crossword puzzles or are into woodworking or quilting or digital photography or various other mm-hmm. sorts of things, that that tends to be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So that variety of mental activity is uh, particularly good for brain health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any apps or anything like that that people can use on their phones that might be helpful for you know, stimulating mental activities? So, yeah, this is something that people often wonder about, you know, computer games of some sort, if if that makes Mm -hmm. much of a difference. And when you look at the science, what you see in the science is that when people play computerized games, they tend to get better at these games and they may, you know, enjoy these games. But in terms of transfer of those sorts of skills that are developed while playing those games into day-to-day life, that's Mm -hmm. not something that we tend to see. Usually there is not what we call a generalization, sort of a a way that those skills transfer uh, more generally into day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. So if people like playing games um, just for the enjoyment and the stimulation, fair enough. But in terms of an expectation that those are going to do, um, you know, important things in day-to-day life, um, you mm-hmm. know, there's less, less uh, support for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good to know that. You know, I was saying at the, at the start of that, it does seem like there's some sort of mixed evidence out there. So it's good to know what kinds of things help and what kinds of things might not be all that helpful. Now, kind of uh, moving on, Dr. Randolph, how does diet relate to keeping our brains healthy as we get older? It's something we obviously all you know, are interested in, and it's another thing that we have some control over that might be helpful in, in terms of brain health. Sure. So w- one of the, the maxims I like to fall back on is what's good for the heart is good for the brain. And for many years, this dietary style called the Mediterranean style diet is something that cardiologists have often recommended for their patients who have heart disease or, you know, heart related problems. And we now know that that style of diet is also really great for the brain. So the Mediterranean style diet, and there are a few other variations, the mind diet and the dash diet would be included in this as well, includes lots of fruits and vegetables, whole grains, olive oil, fish, and maybe some poultry trying to minimize red meat and beans, nuts, legumes. When people eat that sort of collective uh, nutritional style, that tends to uh, have a significantly lower risk of dementia for people that adhere to that style of diet. Mm -hmm. And the more they adhere to that style of diet, the, the lower their dementia risk becomes. Now, this is in contrast to more of what we call a Western-style diet, which includes lots of saturated fats, sugary foods and drinks, processed Mm -hmm. food. Eating along those lines tends to actually increase our risk of dementia, such as Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. So the more we can lean toward a Mediterranean brain healthy style of diet, the better off uh, we tend to be both in the moment and also mm-hmm. um, projecting down the road. Now, what if uh, somebody has not eaten a particularly healthy diet, so more like the Western style diet that you mentioned, you know, at 60, is it too late at that point to make a change and start having more of a, you know, more of something like the mind diet or the dash diet? Or can people do things even later in life that will be helpful diet-wise? You know, for everything we've talked about, it's always a good time to start moving in a brain-healthy direction. Mm -hmm. 
So in a dietary sense, for example, you know, it's not easy to shift one's diet dramatically. It's never really a good idea. And that's always something you should check with your doctor about if you're thinking about making some some major dietary changes. Mm -hmm. But even making some subtle changes, like trying to add in a bit more fruit, a bit more uh, vegetables into, uh, you know, one's uh, day-to-day meals can be an important shift. And certainly at any age, you know, making a change there can have um, some important implications for brain health. Mm -hmm. So this falls into the the category of, again, anything uh, that you can do for brain health is is a good thing. And I would say that exercise, more social activity, more mental activity, all of those, it's never too late to start making some important changes. Now, one of the things you mentioned uh, caught my attention. You said, what's good for the heart is good for the brain. And there's certainly a lot of talk about how maybe a glass of red wine with dinner can be helpful to the heart. Is that also true for the brain? So, yeah, it's interesting. When we think of the broader Mediterranean-style diet, um, that has included a little bit of of wine, typically, um, for people that drink wine. It doesn't mean that you should start drinking if you don't already drink, but a little bit of red wine um, is generally associated with what appears to be some health benefits. The research here is tending to be a bit inconsistent, but there um, there definitely are some findings um, suggesting that a little bit of alcohol as part of a, a healthy dietary plan can be a good thing um, for some people. Again, the sort of thing that's important to check with a, a doctor about in terms of your own specific medical issues, but there have been um, some positive findings in that regard. Yeah, sure thing. Do dietary supplements do anything for the brain or is there uh, something you can tell us about that? So when we look at the science, which, you know, for our conversation here, we really are falling back on, you know, what does the science tend to say? The science supporting use of nutritional supplements isn't really convincing in terms of, you know, people needing to take these supplements. For, um, you know, some people, and again, depending on what their physicians may say, it's important for them to take supplements for one reason or another, especially if they have some sort of a nutritional deficiency. But for people that have a a balanced diet and they're getting the the nutrients that they need through the diet, there really is not compelling evidence suggesting that taking additional supplements will do something above and beyond a balanced diet. So Mm -hmm. that seems to be what we see in the research. Good to know that as well. But this gives us a lot of good things to think about, things that we can actually have some control over. So things like exercise, socializing more, doing mentally stimulating things, making changes to our diet. It's good to know that all of those things can help our brain health. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about is sleep. That's something that has gained some attention in the literature in in recent years in terms of that potentially having some impact in aging and cognition as people age. Is sleep important for brain health? So yeah, sleep is critically important for brain health. And you know, sleep is one of those lifestyle activities or choices that sometimes we we might minimize. Uh, we, we may say that it's important to get sleep, but when it comes down to it, we don't quite get the sleep that we need. And when we are doing what we call short sleeping, which is sleeping six hours a night or less, in a very short period of time, um, we start to experience some negative cognitive effects of not getting enough sleep. 
sleep. Mm-hmm. These effects fortunately tend to normalize once we do get you know the, the kind of magic seven to eight hours uh, a night of sleep. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. we can experience some um, some temporary changes if we're not getting the right amount. Part of this seems to relate to this really interesting system of the brain that kind of uh, starts to turn on right when we check out at night, right when we fall asleep. Um, and it's mm-hmm. called the glymphatic system. Mm-hmm. And the glymphatic system is sort of like the brain's uh, kind of garbage crew that comes yeah. in and basically clears out the, the biological garbage and muck that kind of accumulates throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And so when we are not sleeping well, unfortunately, that uh, that buildup uh, can sort of, uh, you know, tend to intensify and mm-hmm. re- relate to, uh, you know, some of the cognitive problems we might experience in day-to-day life. So sleep is, is one of those um, lifestyle activities that really is something we need to pay attention to, um, especially mm-hmm. from a brain health standpoint. And kind of related to that, I know that when I feel, when I'm going through a stressful period, sometimes I'll have more trouble sleeping. And just kind of thinking about stress in general and the way we cope with that, does that affect brain health? either directly or indirectly, say, through impacting things like sleep? Sure. So, you know, stress is is one of those things that if we're feeling a lot of stress, we pretty quickly notice that we're feeling a bit more scattered. It's harder to focus. It's harder to solve certain problems, maybe learn and remember information. And that's because we, we tend to experience some temporary changes in the brain when we have a lot of stress. There was a really interesting study a few years ago that looked at medical school students who were studying for a very intense test. And the researchers followed these people both while they were studying for the test and then later after the test when they were feeling more relaxed. And while they were studying and being really stressed out, there were parts of their brains that were not really communicating or connecting in normal ways, but these connections tended to kind of come back online when their stress dissipated later. So um, it's it's a good example of how you know stress can really kind of scramble things up as far as our thinking skills go. But once we find ways to to reduce that stress, or once something that's causing stress in our environment sort of um, you know is no longer an issue, that uh, we can you know experience some improvement there. So you know we can experience some of these changes, but fortunately they do tend to be more transient or, or temporary. Mm-hmm. Well. Thanks for all this great information, Dr. Randall. Is there anything else you want to tell us about brain health before we wrap up today? Yeah, I I think, you know, a a couple quick things. One is that it's important for, you know, any sorts of brain healthy behaviors, if you're starting to move into that direction, to take small steps, to not assume that you're going to make, you know, very dramatic changes immediately. We really encourage the, you know, sort of little by little, one step at a time approach to changing behavior. And that tends to be how behavior changes sort of stay with us for longer periods. And also just to reemphasize that, you know, we have a fair amount of control over how our brain ages over time, in addition to how we successfully age over time. And I think there's something very empowering about that idea that there are things that we can do day to day that are free or inexpensive and generally available to all of us that can make quite a bit of difference in promoting brain health. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems like great advice. So it's not like we have to start doing all of this stuff at once. If we just kind of take a little bit at a time, that might be the best way to go in terms of you know making some changes over time that can really help our, uh, our brain health. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Little by little is, is the best way to go. 
All right. Well, thanks, Dr. Randolph, for uh, sharing all that great information about brain health for us. This uh, certainly gives us all something to think about and some really positive developments in how to maintain our brain health. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Brain Beat and our podcast. And thank you, Dr. Randolph. Really appreciate it. It was very informative. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. For more information about the NAN Foundation and neuropsychology, please visit nanfoundation.org. 